this episode of Uplifting Impact, we had an awesome conversation with Daniel Schaefer, who's a grant writer and nonprofit consultant extraordinaire with a real focus on minority and women-owned businesses. We talked about how it's important to have access and opportunities that you really can't have just one or the other. I hope you enjoy the podcast. Thanks so much for tuning in. Hello and welcome. So glad to have Daniel Schaefer here with us today on the Uplifting Impact Podcast. So Daniel has a really interesting background. He actually has done a lot of work in the Pittsburgh area, which is where he is from. And one of the things that he's focused on is in the freelance grant writing and consulting business. Now, the reason why I was drawn to Daniel is because I know how hard it is to raise money and I know how hard it is to get in front of foundations. Having run a couple of them myself, I I really understand that world. But what Daniel does is he has a real focus on making sure that he can bring nonprofits and startups that have minority-owned or women-owned businesses into the limelight. He really focuses on how he can make sure that he can help clients close the gap in funding and really enter into the philanthropic world. So through his work, he's had the unique opportunity to be able to communicate with foundations directly and contribute towards the success of multiple organizations that are minority and women-led nonprofits and their projects. And I just love that that's your focus, Daniel. I love that you're spending some time with us here today. And my first question to you, first of all, welcome. Thank you. (laughs) And my first question to you, because I want to get right into this, is how did you end up doing this work and why are you so passionate about focusing on minority and women-owned businesses? So back in 2017, I did a service year program out here called Pulse. Uh, it's Pittsburgh Urban Leadership Service Experience. And I was placed uh, for 11 months in a predominantly Black and historically underserved uh, neighborhood here, kind of in, in the heart of Pittsburgh. Um, I was placed with, it was a local CDC or Community Development Corporation. And um, at the time, I knew absolutely nothing about community development work. Don't you love those service uh, years? Because it gets you the opportunity to go into new spaces, right? My, well, my degree was in international studies. Okay. And the program um, administrator at the time was like, this might not really interest you. I'm not sure. But it's kind of political, kind of international, sort of. What do you think? And so I just kind of ran with it. You know, throughout that time, uh, so 11 months of that program, you know, I was doing things like helping with um, some small small business workshops, homeownership opportunities, and kind of educating the neighborhood um, on these different opportunities and helping facilitate meetings and organize meetings. During that time, I also served kind of directly under the, the person in charge of like policy and advocacy work. Um, and so one of the things I got to do was serve as kind of the staffer for a committee on Pittsburgh's um, Affirmatively Furthering Fair Housing Task Force. So we talk about all kinds of things like tenant rights uh, and evictions, um, trying to think of some other things, you know, ensuring from policies that would ensure funding to be directed towards those underserved neighborhoods. Um, inclusionary zoning was another one we talked about. And so really throughout this service here, I got thrown into a whole bunch of things I knew nothing about, but I, I really enjoyed that. One of the things that my supervisor at the time said was that community development work and kind of this space I'm in now, I guess, it's kind of like a bug where you either catch it or you don't. <laughs> and so throughout the whole year, um, I kind of shifted into like grant writing, uh, and this is what I'm doing now. 
And, you know, by the end of that year, we had our um, exit interview. And, you know, I, we you know, kind of caught up a little bit because we hadn't talked for like a week or so. Just, we were just busy with stuff. And I just kind of said, you know, pretty sure it's safe to say I caught the bug by now. Um, and she laughed and like had totally forgotten about that. <laughs> but kind of, that kind of sticks there. But really, um, after finishing the service here, you know, it had been a, a, a really uh, amazing experience where, you know, got to interact with local government officials, uh, elected officials within the, you know, within the actual community and state occasionally, you know, different residents from that neighborhood and then other people in the community development world. And, you know, Pittsburgh is a very tight knit city. So very quickly you got to realize and recognize, you know, all like the main actors. And I realized that, you know, there's a lot of work to do in that space, especially here. And so when I, the service year ended, I kind of ended up into like the grant writing area, um, kind of ran with that my, as, um, you know, as a freelance grant writer myself, you know, using some of those networks and connections I had from that neighborhood and very quickly found myself kind of in a niche that was pretty much every nonprofit I was working with by that point, you know, initial clients, they were um, small nonprofits or even um, smaller in terms of grassroots organizations. Um, and pretty much all of them were led by women or minority-led. Uh, in this case, they're uh, Black-led. And, you know, I didn't really try that. Um, it just kind of happened based on you know, who I knew from that neighborhood uh, and then who they knew. And quickly, you know, after, honestly, after about six months, maybe, maybe of doing this work, I started noticing that, like, there's a lot of disproportionate giving, just at least in Pittsburgh alone. I'm, I guarantee it's across the country and the world even. But at least here in Pittsburgh, it's disproportionate given, giving from the foundation world here. It's kind of one of those, like, chicken or the egg things where the newer nonprofit wants to get funding to do their programs. But in order to get funding from the foundations, they need to have run the programs for a year or two. And they don't have funding to do that. So sure. it's kind of this endless cycle that I'm like, okay. I don't know. I can fix that. <laughs> like that's a, I don't even know where to begin with that, but I can at least get people prepared, I, I guess, to ask for the egg or chicken, you know, whichever. <laughs> um, kind of prepared for that. So that's really kind of the direction I've taken this. So when you're doing this work, um, and I think you're right, this is something that we see as a trend, right? Having access to capital, uh, whether you're in the for-profit world or quite frankly, or the nonprofit world, right? Either, either world can be really challenging when you're a minority or woman-led business. So what are some of the things that you've seen are like ways that you break through, you know, to, to help people break through that, right? To help people break through those challenges. What are some of the techniques that you found to be the most effective? So one of the things that I've noticed, it's been even more obvious, I think, during um, COVID. Mm-hmm. Um, again, along with the, the disproportionate giving uh, during COVID, it's incredibly obvious. Like even people that I've talked to that know nothing about grants, they'll reach out to me and be like, like a year ago, you said this. And I'm like, yeah, now you see it. Like you're not even involved and you see it. It's like, that's good. Sort of. Right. But it's like, okay. You know? Um, so one of the things that I've been doing is trying to build up my clients, like confidence in themselves. Like I know hmm. it sounds incredibly simple and, you know, good skill to have in, in general, but a lot of the people I work with either are completely kind of clueless to the grant world, not necessarily like how to write a grant, not necessarily, you know, what a grant is, but that just like connection between themselves and the work they're doing and how to explain that and really get that in front of um, people who might be funding them, you know, whether it's a foundation, a bank, whoever that is. One of the things that I can remember and you know, a quick, quick little story from one of the first clients I had, very small grassroots organization, like, like the definition of grassroots basically. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, her and I were talking and she wanted to put together kind of like a one pager for what they do. 
Okay. You know, one pager for some for what they do. And then, you know, another pager for like a budget, kind of a very, very high overview to send off to, I think like two or three banks or something. And she's like, well, I don't really have anything written. Yeah. I have a document, but it's, it's kind of like stuff. <laughs> Isn't it? <laughs> you know? Okay. Like, hey, you know, send it, you know, I'll see what I can do. You know, let's put this, this, my, you know, my degree and everything. Let's put this, you know, uh, to work. And so I opened, it was a word document. And I remember it was two pages of just like sentences, not necessarily incoherent, but not coherent altogether. Like it wasn't really a story or anything like that. And I'm just like, okay, you know, give me, give me like a day or two. Like, let me just really kind of comb through this thing and figure it out. You know, I spent maybe, you know, two, three hours, maybe going through this thing and really not adding anything new, but just kind of restructuring it um, so that it made sense. And kind of it, it, the, everything that she was trying to do, everything was there. And so when I gave her kind of the, the final um, product, which I think was about a page and a half of narrative, and then a separate page for the budget, which was also in that um, initial document somewhere, she was like pretty much in tears. And I was like, this is amazing. And I'm like, this is yours. Like, you wrote this. She's like, no, no, no. I mean, maybe, but like, I'm like, no, no, no. Like, not, not maybe. Like, you all, I'm like, all I did was maybe add a few words to make it just tie together a little bit better. You know, just a little bit of formatting. That's all. Sure. And so that's one of the things I tried to do is like really take what they already have and try to kind of use it again to kind of like prove to them. It's like, look, like, you know what you're doing. Like you explained to me what you need, you know, what you're doing, what you need help with. Like, if I didn't understand that and you didn't know what you're doing, I'd be like, there's no way I'm working with you. You know, it's like, this is, this is not a good idea. And it's like, so you know what you're doing. Um, so definitely like building up confidence is one of the techniques or strategies, I guess. And another thing that is like, it also seems incredibly obvious, but ask questions. There's this, you know, the whole idea is like the client doesn't know what you don't know and vice versa. You know, it's like, do you know, you know, I, I, I fell into something the other, uh, about two months ago where I set up a call with a funder and then it was very obvious on that call. My client had no idea what that program was. Program officer reached out to me and was like, Hey, uh, next time you have clients, make sure you prepare them for this. And I was like, I am so sorry. I thought they knew this. And I'm like, Definitely should have asked about that, like gotten a better idea of that beforehand. You know, they knew of the program and apparently that was it. <laughs> and it's like, so really, you know, asking those questions, like trying to understand what isn't, is or isn't known about things. And like a lot of people, the people I work with are very hesitant to do that too. And where do you think that comes from? Because I see that quite often, you know, with a lot of organizations that we support too, where there is like this, sometimes it's a fear. And sometimes I, I think that it's just, like the process isn't, you know, made clear to people, right? Like they don't know that it seems almost inappropriate to reach out to the foundation or to try and schedule a call because there's these unwritten rules. Have you come across a a lot of that? And how do you, if so, like, how do you help your clients navigate some of the unwritten rules that they may have not, you know, that they wouldn't know because they aren't anywhere. They aren't listed anywhere. They aren't shared. No, I, no, I, so I would say I've seen both of those kind of things, like the fear and, um, you know, just not really knowing, like, not no, not sure where to go with that. So one of the things that I do is basically I tell them, like, don't worry about, like, like no, not literally, but don't worry about the foundation people. Like, they know who I am. I bug them all the time. Like, I will gladly bug them for you. But at the same time, it's like when we eventually then hopefully, you know, get a meeting set up, your turn. Like, you you know what you're doing. Don't, you know, don't turn to me like, I don't know what I'm, it's like, yes, you do. You've been doing, you've been running this for like two years by yourself before I got on board. Like, you know what you're doing. Like, I'm, like doesn't be a good pitch. Doesn't be, you know, doesn't be great, but just introduce what you do, you know, who you are, what you're trying to do even. 
And so a lot of that fear that I've found, and I've heard from some of my clients too, is that um, the, the dreaded like info at email. Sure. I, I personally can't stand them because yes, it usually goes to a person or, you know, right away goes to a person, but that doesn't make it personal from the foundation side. So it's like, they don't almost, they almost don't have to respond. Sure. And so like the minute I get like a person's actual email, like that's the go-to. And I, I don't even, I don't even care if it's like the wrong person sometimes. <laughs> like I'll even email, like, I know you're the wrong person, but who's the right one? And like, I know a lot of that fear is, you know, you see this like info at, and it's not a person. And so this kind of this internalized, like, well, they don't care then. Like you said, then with like the actual process of grant making and kind of the whole, that whole structure, I'll say it's very white. You know, the people who had the money way back when, you know, the industrialists, at least here in like Pittsburgh, kind of, it was a bunch of white industrialists who, you know, kind of gathered the wealth and then have been distributing it or their families have been for however long now. And so I think that kind of adds this strange level of, or a strange barrier, just because of the, um, you know, what they're looking for. Requirements, um, the process itself is kind of archaic. And, you know, I'll say to that, that fortunately, I think during COVID, uh, a lot of those foundations and organizations that get out funding have really adapted. Um, they've kind of had to. There was an organization here that had you mail in like eight copies of your grant and in person, You've had to deliver it in person to their office. Wow. And this year, they're like, hmm, maybe we shouldn't do that anymore. And I, like, <laughs> I was, I'm kind of friends to whatever extent with the program officer for that one place. And I'm like, thank you. Like, <laughs> like, before I even started grant writing, but thank you. Yeah. Um, uh, I hope that answers your question there. It's like kind of, kind of all the above. Well, yeah. You know, and I just, I, it's, it's really interesting because I think that, you know, we often think, well, there's opportunities, you know, why whatever there's everybody can, but if you don't know those like insider rules and you don't have those connections, or if it's completely, you know, different to, to the way that you might process information or that you might be asked to share information or even the way that information makes sense to you, right. That, or to your, or to the people that you're serving, it can be really overwhelming to walk into those spaces where literally everything around you is brand new. So I have another kind of question just about this and really thinking about the nonprofit sector in particular. Why do you think it's important or do you think it's important to have nonprofit organizations that are run by women or one or run by minorities really running, right? Like why do you think that's important or is it important to the ecosystem to have organizations that are led by by people of color? Back to the last question real quick. Sure. One of the things that kind of frustrates me to no end is when all the you know different foundations and funding organizations, whoever they are, will say things like, oh, you know, check out these new opportunities and opportunities, this. And like, that is like a strange buzzword. That opportunity is it. I've tried, I try to push for some of the foundation staff I talk to and have a you know better relationship with is like, opportunity doesn't really mean anything if people can't access it. Mm. Can't- say that again. Uh, yeah. Opportunity doesn't mean anything if you can't access it. I, I basically said, like, you know, all these conversations, you know, um, given, you know, with the murder of George Floyd last summer and everything, the, the, the heap, you know, foundations keep mentioning, oh, you know, here's this new opportunity for COVID relief, this new opportunity for racial justice. And it's like, that's awesome. Cool. But if it's basically catering to the same people, what's the point? Like, hmm. The point is, like, you, I'm like, I always say, it's like, you can't have both. If you, are you, you need to have a conversation around both things at the same time. Like, even just like, oh, everyone has access to this, but there's nothing there. Right. Everyone has opportunities, but they can't get to it. And it's like, there's no point to have one conversation by itself. 
need to have opportunity and access. For those of you listening, write that down and put it in bold, highlight it if you need to, because that's so true, right? What's the sense of having opportunity if you can't have access? Yes. Thank you for going back to that question. Yeah. And then uh, the jump forward then to the last question. So the importance of having black or, or uh, black led or women led or both organizations, I think honestly, just the, the diversity in leadership, kind of like I said, with the foundations where it's very, the mentality is very white. And so, you know, it adds diversity into who's leading, who's deciding things, who, you know, it's a matter of like perspective for a lot of nonprofits, you know, it's like, okay, the last six CEOs at this place have been white. It's like, well, like maybe that's why they're possibly, you know, they're not doing anything different. Like maybe that's why they've been funding the same people or not funding the same people. And, you know, it's important to get those people in there for the sake of, you know, different perspectives. You know, there's all kinds of studies out there that show that more diversity in like C-level, you know, corporations or at the, you know, executive director level, whatever you want to call that, more diversity like is more success, there's more change occurring and like things are actually productive. One of the things I like to do, and it's kind of related to this and the last question uh, one of the things I like to do is I noticed early on that foundations, at least again, in my experience, foundations paid attention to me because I'm white. I'm okay. sure that's not the only reason, but I know it's there. Sure. And, you know, I'm the white, this young white grant writer. And it's like, okay, what can I do with that? So one of the things I've started doing, and I, I kind of enjoy it, like it's kind of a weird game, but I enjoy it, is basically I reach out to the foundation and I'd say, Hey, you know, here's who I am. This is what I do. I have a, I have a client that's interested and I think they align with you. Um, are you interested? And usually they'll agree to whatever, you know, they'll agree and try and set up a meeting or at least email chain or something. But then what I like to do is when we actually have the real meeting is like I said earlier, is like kind of like, I, like I said, I put my foot in the door. If they, they like, Oh, who's, you know, who's trying to get in they see like, Oh, he's white. Okay. And then they open the door and, and I just, I open the door like for the client to walk in. So it's kind of like a weird like switch thing um, that I kind of enjoy doing because like there are some foundations that, you know, doesn't really phase them or anything. And there are, I've noticed a few meetings kind of in the early stages of the pandemic on Zoom where like the foundation staff that's in the call is kind of like, oh. Wait, I wasn't expecting this. And like, I kind of enjoy that little yeah like, that moment of like shock um, kind of um, from the other side. Daniel, what we call that here is um, taking your potential and flipping it, right? Like really leveraging your 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 privilege, right? Like so being able to say and recognize that because of this identity trait that I have, whatever it might be, and and you can flip in so many different things, right? Think about, I would say to people listening, think about the identities that you have and then how can you like with intention take that identity and then use it in a way that really is going to help benefit other people. So you just gave a perfect example of something that we talk about all the time of taking our our privilege and turning it into potential. And especially then, um, off of that, especially then during COVID. So one of the things that I've always, you know, conversations I've had with people, whether they're clients, foundation staff, or kind of colleagues in whatever level there is like, okay, you know, COVID was, and well, 2020 in general, but COVID has brought a lot of things to the front that we weren't sure. really paying attention to or didn't get enough attention. And so now you have all these foundations and funders constantly making programs, new programs or rebranding or whatever they do with them to really focus on social justice, you know, racial equity, et cetera. And I'm, and I'm like, my response is like, so what? Like, okay, you, you, you put out you know, a nice little press statement and it looks great, but what are you actually doing? Right. Um, so this whole time, you know, I've had two or three clients that just in the past couple of months now, they, you know, I've helped, I think I've helped both of them get 
the one about $200,000 for a program and the other one about, about 200 something as well. And like, I'm just like kind of using that, this moment in, you know, in history. And of course, you know, it's like, okay, you're saying you believe these things. Mm-hmm. Like, well, I guess you show, show us. Yeah. yeah. yeah show us, show us that you do it and actually care by funding us. Right. And it kind of puts the foundations in this space where like, they can't really not do it without a very good reason. And so it's kind of been, like I said, kind of a weird game of just trying to like gauge, I guess it's like gauging the guilt kind of <laughs> um, trying to figure out like where they stand on this and like, if they actually stand where they say they do. Yeah. I wouldn't say gauging the guilt. I would say gauging the commitment, right? I mean, that's what it is, right? Like how, because I I think it's important, you know, that like when we're looking at processes and we're looking at systems, I actually advise people that not to play with guilt because guilt will go, right? Like guilt comes and goes, it's in waves, it's part of the, but if you, if you talk about commitment, if you talk about like, what are your values? Are you living in your values? Like those are things that I feel like are much steadier rocks, right? And then that's the kind of thing that leads to, to long-term commitment. So I didn't mean to, uh, I understand what you're saying though, right? Cause I, a lot of this, I think people are trying to wrestle with like that emotion of guilt and then they've come up with a commitment or they've come up with whatever, but really resting on that, right? And coming back to that, I think is, is incredibly powerful. Well, Daniel, I am so sorry that our time has come to an end, but I would know that there's people who are probably interested in just learning a little bit more about your techniques and how, how you're taking that privilege and turning it into potential in the space of, of raising funds and, and kind of what that looks like. So if our listeners are looking for somebody with your expertise, how do they find you, Daniel? Yeah, so I am very active on LinkedIn, uh, maybe too much. But yeah, my, you know, my thing on there is Daniel Schaefer, you know, exactly as it is in the podcast here. Feel free to, you know, send a connect request, actually send a message or a note if you can, just so I know where you're coming from. But yeah, that's probably the best way to reach me. Awesome. Well, Daniel, thank you so much for all the work that you're doing in Pittsburgh and beyond as you're working with uh, your clients to make sure that they're getting not only the opportunity, but also the access to the kind of financial resources that they need in order to thrive and do the good work that they're doing. We really, really appreciate you. And I want to say thank you to everybody who joined us today here on Uplifting Impact. I hope that you were able to make that connection in your mind between the things that you're thinking about doing and access an opportunity also, because that is the way that we grow, right? Is by making sure that we have these, not just have the commitments, but that we're willing to take the action behind them. And that when we put them out into the world, that people can access them. So those things, right? All of them have to be there and all of them have to be working together. So we just want to say thank you for joining us for another episode of Uplifting Impact. You know, we strongly, strongly believe that the more we can have these conversations, the more tools you can put in our toolkit, the more inclusive we can make the world. So please share and we'd love to see you on our next episode. Thank you. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.